Hello and welcome to the Herb Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest, and my guest is Neil Quilliam, an associate fellow, Middle East and North Africa program at Chatham House. Today, our conversation is about Iraq and the many challenges facing its Prime Minister, Mustafa al Khadami. Neil, thanks very much for joining the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Mustafa al Khadami has been Prime Minister for a little more than six months. He took over a fractured, nearly bankrupt country with big security concerns. In a tough neighborhood, he needs to walk a, a really tight line between Iran on the one hand and the Saudis and the United States on the other. So how do you think he's doing? I mean, he's got a tough task uh, in his hands and, and, and a tough job ahead. And I'm sure no one is satisfied um, with, with, with how he's doing. But I mean, I guess the way you could you could describe it, he's 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 doing as well as he can. You know, he's got a limited tenure. Very few people expect him to stand uh, or, or succeed, I should say, at the, the elections next June, which he's called. So he's he's kept the promise of uh, holding early elections. And I guess he's he's hampered. I mean, he was the third choice candidate. So he he's a consensus candidate, which necessarily and naturally kind of restrains his ability to push things ahead. He doesn't have the support of a particular political party or a strong coalition behind him, though he does, or it seems to, he does seem to have the, you know, the, the I suppose, overwhelming support of uh, young Iraqis, shall we say. So he's, he's, got, he's got that a little bit behind him. He's made some hard choices coming into government. I mean, become, becoming prime minister, he's got to sort of balance those interests, as you allude to, sort of between what the Iranians want, what the US wants, and what he's trying to do with that uh, public support that he, you know, he became prime minister on, on, on the back of. In, in doing that, he's, you know, he's had to make compromises in a number of cabinet positions. But at the same time, he's managed to appoint a number of competent generals that don't come from the, you know, the, the leading armed groups. Um, and he's appointed what, what appears to be some, some effective ministers of defence and interior. So he's, I think he's, he's sort of balancing fairly well, probably not satisfying absolutely everybody, as, as no prime minister would do so, and seems to be sort of, you know, courting a, a middling path, which has been, I guess, I mean, he's, you know, he's been to Tehran, he's been to DC, so he's playing those games quite well. Also managing the Saudi relationship. I mean, the Saudis want to engage much more than they've done so in the past, uh, not simply throwing money at, the, at, the, you know, at, at Iraq. So I guess overall, you know, he's, he's doing fine, but I'm sure nobody will be happy with that answer. Street protests, you mentioned young, young Iraqis. Street protests helped to bring down his predecessor, Adal Abdul Mahdi. And, and this past Saturday, 25th of October, there were massive protests in Baghdad on the one-year anniversary of the beginning of that particular protest movement. How strong is the street and how imperiled is uh, Mr. Al-Khadami by the protest movement? Because the concerns are still there, aren't they? Corruption, unemployment, lack of uh, infrastructure to deliver electricity and clean drinking water, security issues. It's all there, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the concerns are there. You know, the issues at hand have not been addressed. 
and he's not going to do that in in a short space of time. I mean, those are obviously long term issues that that need to be addressed, and there are deep sort of structural problems right at the core. I mean, the the street is strong. The sentiment is still there, and it's expressed as as you've alluded to. You know, the the, the protests over the weekend. However, the armed groups have shifted and changed their their approach. The security forces are a bit more sort of forward leaning. I mean, he's he's played quite a good role in in muting and making the you know the Iraqi security forces a little more uh, gentle is, a, is not the right word, but a little more thoughtful in, in, in how they manage sort of protests. We remember the 600 protesters that were killed. We've seen the, the, the peak in violence, if, if you like, from, from some of the, you know, the, the armed groups, some of the militias. We have seen you know, protesters targeted at home. We've seen intelligence gathered on them and their whereabouts. So there has been a, a, a pushback if you like, that has challenged the strength of the street. But but the sentiment is still very much there. And in a way, uh, he's it's not that he's hamstrung, cause, because from what, we, you know, what I can see, he's broadly sympathetic with that. And, and in a way, that wave, that wave those, of protests sort of brought him to power. But he is necessarily constrained as well. I mean, the structures within Iraq also limit his ability to push back against, you know, those armed groups, those armed factions. So he's he's really trying to kind of balance out those those two elements. Yeah, well, that d- then does move me uh, to my next question, which is Iraqi politics, which, as you well know, is fiendishly complicated. I think I once decided to try and count the number of factions that were in the Iraqi parliament, and I, I think I got to 37, if memory serves me right. But, but who are the key figures that threaten or support uh, Mr. Al-Khadami? I mean, that's a great question, Bill. And, and, and I think it's probably easier just to count those that support him. You know, the Iraqi president, Bahram Saleh, is the key figure that, you know, was instrumental in selecting and pushing through, you know, the premiership. And then, you know, we, these aren't figures, but, you know, the protesters that came out on the streets, that's, that's, that's the bank of support then I would say that, to a large extent, he faces opponents and oppositions that represent the system, that are embedded within this system that delivers benefits and interests, you know, through the patronage system. So, you know, be that Barzani, be that Muqtadr al-Sadr, I mean, these ultimately, all of their interests would, would be challenged by him as as he would want to push through, you know, a reform agenda. So he has very few allies, really, on what, upon which he can count. Only those generals, I would say, that that you know he's he's appointed those new sort of sets of ministers. Yes, they were compromised figures, but I mean he sort of he pushed them through. But uh, sort of within the wider gambit, they're not that instrumental in supporting him. Qatar Hezbollah they accused him, didn't they, of being complicit. In, in the uh, the drone killing of their leader, Al-Muhandis, and of course of uh, Soleimani, the IRGC uh, general. How much of a threat do they pose to him? I mean, I think we've, you know, we've, we've seen where he has cracked down, where he has, you know, detained 
leaders from groups where he has picked up opposition groups we've we've seen them respond quite forcibly and we've seen that happen you know in the international zone we've seen that i think any figure around the prime minister is at risk and under threat i mean i th- i think the 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 threat is is a very real security one uh i mean they must always be on, be on his mind they're quite a pernicious group that that plays you know an outsized role if you like and poses quite a serious security threat to him and that team around him and the enigma that is muqtada al-sadr what role is he playing because he seems to jump on both sides of the fence sometimes i mean i think he's i think he's 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 described by most analysts as mercurial i think he's you know he's 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 ultimately a i don't know if pragmatist is the right word but he's certainly an opportunist he can he can shift from one camp to another and that's that's why earlier um when you asked me about those who who might support him i mean you can't discount that you know he to a large extent you know he 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 was very much sort of in in support of the protests but then you know also he's not part of the protests as well he kind of i guess bends with the wind and sees where the opportunities best present themselves so if he sensed that uh, uh, the prime minister was perhaps weakening he might turn the other way yeah i, I think that's the case i mean i think he still would you know i i think he still probably reckon identifies himself really as as an Iraqi nationalist and I think he would like to be at the forefront of that current um so in in many ways he sees that as a key opportunity but um I mean the prime minister is unlikely as I said you know unlikely to remain prime minister post post election so we will see a you know a shift depending on how those elections play out and I think he you know he's not wedded to one one particular cause now mr al-qadami before becoming prime minister he was a well respected diplomat and and you touched on this uh, the man who reformed the iraqi national intelligence service and that was a key wasn't it uh, in the battle against the islamic state but the fight is far from over we're seeing a resurgence what is the security situation he is facing now i mean it's it's almost cliche to say um and and nearly every analyst would say this that ISIS had gone underground that until the you know the political framework until the political apparatus until those that feel disenfranchised from the system are brought into the system ISIS as as an idea as as a movement is going to be you know forever present whether it's holding territory or whether you know it's it's sort of murking and lurking in the shadows we can see that um i mean the number of attacks has has increased quite considerably over the past few months there've been i think a 25% increase in in the number of attacks particularly along the sort of iraq syria border so that so the risk that they're posing they're sort of reemerging is certainly increasing they've taken advantage of a security vacuum to launch attacks essentially against security forces and energy and other forms of critical infrastructure too and they've started to recruit you know new members as the sort of you know the, the political situation festers or continues to fester and of course i mean you know there are a whole set of issues that he has to face low oil price and covid and i, I think these things really sort of just bleed or blend into appealing to to, to new members 
the security gap in the sort of northern and and Kurdish areas, particularly around Kirkuk, leaves businesses, operators, and infrastructure in this region vulnerable to attacks. And we've seen that they've become really quite active in in these areas. They've also taken advantage of poorly secured disputed territories, and there are something like three thousand new members. I don't know how we quite get to those figures, but are joining you know ISIS, and they're part of an established network. And they have these supply lines that lead into difficult terrain of the north. And they've got hideouts in complex cave and tunnel systems along the Hamrin, Mahmoor mountains, straddling Diyala, Kirkuk, Salahadin. In other words, I mean, it's, it's again, they're a pernicious threat. They are particularly good at exploiting opportunities, security weaknesses. And I think we'll start to see sort of an uptick in those activities. They're not going away anytime soon. Hmm. Mr. Al-Khadami, when he took over, one of the promises that he made was to bring to account those who were killing journalists and activists. And yet a colleague of yours, uh, Hisham al-Hashami, was brutally murdered outside his own home in July, a great loss to to Iraq and, and, and a very sad, sad situation. But his killers have not been brought to justice. What does that say about the Prime Minister and this commitment to bring these uh, murderers to justice, to account? It's probably not about his commitment. I mean, I think it's probably much more to do with the constraints under which he's operating. It is an extremely, as we've seen, you know, with, with Hisham's murder, and I would, you know, really recommend your listeners to read my colleague Renard Mansour's piece on the, on the Chatham House website. I mean, he knew him very well. and But I'm sure Prime Minister would want to hold those responsible, accountable. But it's the security constraints under which he's operating. You know, we alluded to earlier, I mean, he and his own, his own circle, and in fact, the killing of Hisham shows that anybody can be reached. So that's, that's a hard bridge to cross if he wants to really make change, holding them to account, which obviously, you know, that's part of his mandate and that's, that's he's made that commitment, is much harder in practice than it is, you know, vocalizing or verbalizing it. If that were to happen, that might happen at, at a later stage, if he's able to consolidate his own position. And I don't think he will be able to do that if he was able to really bring in, you know, rein in those armed groups and those armed militias. But whilst they're out there and he really does not have that capacity to constrain them, it's it's hard. I mean, I'm sure everyone would wish him to do so, but it's hard for him to really bring those that are responsible to account. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have the, you know, the commitment or the willingness to do so. That's more about the structure and the, the circumstances in which he's 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 operating. Let's look at the public sector then. It's hugely bloated, hugely corrupt and, and immensely damaging to efforts to reform the economy. The Prime Minister promised public sector reforms. How is he doing on that front? I mean, he came to Europe. He's got a white paper that promises reforms. Um, and again, I guess one one probably wouldn't want to doubt his 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 commitment to do that but i mean how many times have we heard you know the promise or the pledge of reforms in in iraq 
the again the you know the the constraints under which he's operating really press and bear down but then in in addition to that you've got a, a low oil price i mean the budget is predicated i think on $56 a barrel i mean it's sitting somewhere at $40 a barrel at the moment you know so there's a significant shortfall yes reforms need to be pushed through yes reforms are absolutely critical the gap between you know monthly income and monthly expenditure is somewhere between 3 to 4 billion dollars the country which is you know one holds what the third largest uh oil reserves is you know is in dire economic straits and really needs the reforms but in all honesty whilst we can say that and whilst we can look on paper and say they need to be pushed through i don't feel particularly optimistic that that that's really going to happen particularly at a time of low oil prices and when covid is you know it's not just in iraq obviously but when covid is having its its impact is is really quite tremendous i mean he's got a 6 month tenure left effectively or 6 7 months uh in which to push some of this through now that there probably will be some progress but maybe we need to sort of first wait to see what happens in the us and then maybe that that'll take us somewhere more positive well some of these issues as you say that they're baked into this political structure uh they're baked into the militias and and these powerful individuals and and also the public sector is a way to give jobs to people who otherwise don't have jobs the jobs themselves non-productive meaningless in many cases but they're jobs yeah no abs- absolutely you know and it's it's a sort of it's a it's a tried and tested um system of patronage and it you know it's it as you say it's it's really baked in and obviously that you know that bleeds tremendous resources from the state um that prevents you know the private sector from emerging and growing and generating jobs i mean unemployment is you know unemployment amongst people under 30 is something around 28 27% i mean it's you know it's significant but yeah if you if you start cutting those public sector jobs and you know that unemployment number is going to go up and that in itself is going to present a whole series of challenges i mean iraq obviously isn't the only country that faces this challenge in the region but i mean iraq sort of sits there in its location with this tremendous oil you know resource and yet it it seems to have more than its fair share of issues and problems and is just not in a position because of because of those structures those kind of post 2003 structures just seem to militate against you know progress in in any sort of meaningful way although you know having said that i mean you know he does seem to have the aspiration to make those change which has probably not really been there to to the same degree in the past now you mentioned uh, saudi arabia it said that uh, mr Al-Khadami has a warm relationship with uh, Mohammed bin Salman. How important is that relationship? And I suppose, too, how careful does he need to be, given that Iran is watching very closely? Yeah, no, that's, that's a good question. I mean, he, he does, by all accounts, have, have, a, have a good relationship. And, I mean, this, you know, this, the Saudis are now approaching Iraq much more strategically than they've done in the past to a large extent they you know they they've sort of thrown money at the problem or they just have simply ignored the problem 
Um, but they've developed, you know, they've developed a broader strategy where they don't just want to sort of, you know, pour money in, but they, they want to develop and cultivate stronger trade and investment relationships. They want to invest in reconstruction and they don't simply want to work with sort of, you know, friendly communities. They're trying to work across that whole piece. So, and that is part of a longer term project rather than a sort of short, you know, one year, two year project. So he is developing and cultivating that relationship, but it is primarily through the sort of the economic lens rather than anything else. And as long as it remains on that footing, you know, he could pro- probably manage that sort of careful balancing act. But I'm saying that at the same time thinking, I mean, I'm finding it hard to imagine that, that he's going to be prime minister beyond June. So in a way, he's sort of, you know, he's in a caretaker position and trying to sort of work up that relationship, but, but make sure that it doesn't actually provoke Iran. And you're absolutely right. I mean, Iran is going to watch that space very, very closely. I mean, Iraq is of deep strategic importance to Tehran, like no other country in the region. Now, you said unlikely that he would continue past the June elections. Uh, is it not possible that uh, if he shows some progress in some of these areas that we've been discussing, that he might stay on? I mean, there's, of course, there is, that, there is that possibility. But he doesn't really have, I mean, he, 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 in many ways, he sort of poses a challenge or a threat to the institutional framework that is Iraq. He poses a threat to those myriad of vested interests. He doesn't really have the weight to operationalize that threat, but nonetheless, he does. He does somehow represent it. So it, it it's it's hard to see, you know, the political parties or the blocs really getting behind him. He may have support of the street. But I don't see that as being enough for him to be put forward as you know, a, a candidate to continue as prime minister. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I think he's probably, if if he had a longer tenure, then you know he may well be able to make inroads into some of these issues, particularly the reforms, and that would be very very positive. And I could then talk maybe in a slightly more optimistic way than than I've been doing for the last you know twenty twenty five minutes. But I see it. I see it. It's being very difficult to envision him as prime minister beyond June. Hmm. Final question, Neil. Will a Biden presidency make a difference to the enormous challenges that Iraq and uh, and Mustafa al-Khadami face? I think so, yes. I think a Biden presidency and a Biden administration would seek to engage more collaboratively more constructively i mean this might be part of my own hope but but i but but i think the the signs are that it would i think a biden administration would want to revive the jcpoa and i think a sort of jcpoa plus and i think there could be some positive knock on effects of that particularly from iraq if if tensions between the us and iran dialed down. Now, in terms of the sort of US-Iraq relationship as well, I think 
Biden will probably follow on a similar trajectory that you know Obama started of drawing down and Trump has certainly been part of. But I think the relationship itself might will probably take a slightly different characteristic. There won't be a full withdrawal of troops, of course. And but I but I think the US Iraqi relationship may shift to a slightly different footing where pushing on the economy and pushing on that reform ag- agenda gets a, a, a you know an impetus if that takes place then that could be quite positive and could help uh Khadmi face those challenges well Iraqis and the rest of us are holding our breath to see what happens on November 3rd Neil thank you very much you're welcome thanks so much Bill you've been listening to the Arab Digest podcast my guest today was Neil Quilliam, an Associate Fellow, Middle East and North Africa Program at Chatham House. We welcome your comments. If you're not already a member and you want to join the club, you can find out how by going to ArabDigest.org. If you're a student, we have a new rate of £10 a month or £100 per year. And for academics and retirees, we are now offering a rate that amounts to a 70% discount. Check it out on ArabDigest.org. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest. Essential reading from independent sources.